When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir Johnny MacDonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. Before I start, I want to say thank you to Vic Dalton, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you really enjoy the show, I encourage you to give it a review. I'll thank you on the air, and it helps move the podcast up the rankings. I'd also like to say thank you to Lucas Legros, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly, He was nice enough to give me a donation, which I truly do appreciate. I do this full-time, so every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. Don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. If you like, you can email me at Craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just look for Bairdo37. And I have two other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, as well as Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. Following the retirement of Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin came in as the 21st Prime Minister of Canada during a time when Canada was going through several changes as a culture and on the political landscape as well. Paul Martin is the example of a Prime Minister who everyone knew would become Prime Minister, but when he did, did not meet the expectations that many had. Born Paul Edgar Philip Martin on August 28, 1938 in Windsor, Ontario, He would spend his early life in the community until 1945 when his father, Paul Martin Sr., was appointed to the cabinet of William Lyon Mackenzie King. Martin's mother, Eleanor, had only one other child, a sister for Martin named Mary Ann. Paul Martin Sr. was a fascinating man who deserves at least a brief mention in the episode about his son. First elected to the House of Commons in 1935, he would become a cabinet minister in 1945 under William Lyon Mackenzie King. This would begin a stretch of cabinet posts that would continue all the way to the 1960s. During that time, he served as a cabinet minister with King, Louis St. Laurent, Lester B. Pearson, and Pierre Elliott Trudeau. This included a stretch as a minister of national health and welfare in which he played an important role in the fight against polio, and he oversaw the creation of hospital insurance in Canada earning him the name by some as the father of Medicare. He would attempt to run for the leadership of the Liberal Party three times, in 1948, 1958, and 1968. The closest he came was in 1958 when he had 22.1% of the vote. In 1968, he left Parliament and was appointed to the Senate, where he would remain for the rest of his life. While Martin Sr. never became Prime Minister, He also did not live long enough to see his son become Prime Minister, having died in 1992. When Paul Martin was eight, he would contract polio, as his father had contracted in 1907. It was this incident that would push his father to help eradicate polio 
and get a vaccine developed in Canada. I look at the polio issue in Canada in detail in my episode about polio, which I released back in January. In Ottawa, Martin would be educated at a French elementary school and a bilingual high school. And after high school, Martin attended the University of Ottawa before transferring to St. Michael's College. In 1962, he graduated with a degree in philosophy from St. Michael's College at the University of Toronto. In 1965, he graduated from the University of Toronto Law School and was called to the Ontario Bar the following year. He would also marry Sheila Ann Cohen, with whom he had three sons, Paul, Jamie, and David. In 1966, Paul Martin moved to Montreal, where he worked as an assistant to the president of the Power Corporation of Canada, Maurice Strong, who became a mentor for him. It was in that year that he also took part in the first provincial campaign when he volunteered for the local Liberal candidate. It also created a situation that he would remember for the rest of his life. Paul Martin accidentally walked into the committee room for the rival candidate, and moments later, two large bodyguards accused him of spying on their campaign, and one of them broke Paul Martin's nose with a punch. While he had not been exposed to business by this point, Martin actually began to show great business skill. Within three years of joining the company, he was made the vice president, and in 1973, after the company suffered severe losses, he became the president of Canada Steamship Lines, and then its CEO in 1975. By 1976, the company had reversed direction and once again was doing well under the guidance of Martin. In August of 1985, Martin and a partner bought the company for $180 million and named it the CSL Group. Three years later, Martin was the sole owner. In the following year, the company was a $500 million a year transportation conglomerate that owned 40 ships, 2,500 transport trucks, two shipyards, and 350 buses. Martin would say, quote, I could quite happily spend all my time in business, but I'm beginning to think that maybe I ought to be trying to create economic involvement in the third world, or perhaps I can contribute the most through politics. End quote. Due to the influence of his father, who served as a mentor as well, he chose not to enter politics until he became successful in business. But that didn't stop politics from coming to him. In 1984, after the Liberal Party had seen a collapse as Brian Mulroney cruised to the largest majority in Canadian history, a group of young Liberals approached Martin about being a candidate. Martin chose to eventually run for the leadership of the party if the opportunity ever arose, and many considered Martin to be the ideological successor to John Turner. Martin would help heavily behind the scenes. He would speak at several nomination meetings during the 1984 election campaign, and he even vetted some of the policy statements of Turner. With free trade becoming the major topic of discussion in Canada around this time, Martin would emerge as a vocal critic of it, especially considering that he did so much of his business with Asia. He would say, quote, All our efforts on one country precisely when the action is shifting away. End quote. While Martin was critical of the Mulroney free trade policy, he was actually close friends with the Prime Minister, and he would say, quote, He is a friend. When he was in Montreal, he was our lawyer, and he lived a block away from us. I went to his wedding. We go back a long way together. End quote. In 1986, Martin would state that he was interested in running for the leadership of the party, but that he wanted experience in the House of Commons first, 
likely only if Turner resigned. He would state to McLean's, quote, I am behind John Turner 100%, end quote. The Liberal Party will have a new high-profile candidate from Quebec in the next federal election. Paul Martin Jr. was nominated today to run for the Liberals in the Montreal area riding of La Salimar. His father, Paul Martin Sr., served in Ottawa under four Liberal Prime Ministers dating back to Mackenzie King. Now the younger Martin hopes to carry on the tradition. Paul Workman reports. Paul Martin wasn't even born when his father was first elected to the House of Commons. Now, 50 years later, son like father is hoping to make his own name, his own career in politics. Public life is a very difficult life, but it's a great life and it's a noble life. And I'm sure he'll be an adornment in it. Now, some will say that I'm running because it's in the blood, it's in the genes, and it is true. This was an important nomination for the Liberals because Paul Martin is no ordinary candidate. Many see him as a future leader of the party, a potential savior in the province of Quebec, particularly popular with Montreal's ethnic voters. There were snippets of Italian and sniping at the Conservatives in his first official speech as a candidate. He's a millionaire businessman in the shipping industry, well-known in Quebec, not so well-known in the rest of the country. This, he says, is not the beginning of his campaign to take over the party from John Turner. This is the beginning of my campaign to become the member of parliament for La Salamar, period. But few people believe that. In fact, getting elected may very well be the first step in achieving something his father never could, the leadership of the Liberal Party. Paul Workman, CBC News, Montreal. In 1988, at the age of 50, he finally ran for the House of Commons, and while Mulroney and his progressive conservatives dominated the election, Martin was able to earn a seat in Parliament as a Liberal. In his first foray into politics, well, it did not go well. He would stumble several times, including when he made comments about the Meech Lake Accord that went against the policy of John Turner. There were also criticisms over his uncomfortable manner on television, but he worked with advisors and he began to change the view that many had of him, improving his campaign style in the process. When John Turner resigned as leader of the party, Martin went up against Jean Chrétien to become leader, and he would campaign heavily for the position, stating, quote, We cannot continue to sit at home in front of our televisions watching the world change, and wondering all that time when someone is at last going to come to Canada and build an industrial plant. End quote. Unfortunately, he lost on the first ballot, taking 1,176 votes, or 25%, to Chrétien's 2,652 votes, and 56.81%. At the time, Chrétien had not been given a position on the Meech Lake Accord, and Martin attempted to get Chrétien to choose a side during a discussion, but Chrétien did not. Later, when several young delegates yelled sellout and Judas at Chrétien, he blamed Martin for inciting the response from the floor, which Martin denied. The leadership race would actually have long-standing consequences between the two men, and it would create a rivalry that would come to a head over a decade later. To borrow a phrase, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Jean Chrétien won the leadership of his party, but it was an ugly, sour victory. Chrétien always blamed leadership rival Paul Martin of ruining it for him. It had been a particularly bitter campaign because of the Meech Lake constitutional deal. 
Paul Martin supported it. Chrétien didn't. In Quebec, Martin supporters were out to win, even if that meant calling Chrétien a sellout. There is nothing that hurts Chrétien more than being belittled in Quebec. He never expected Martin and his supporters to go to the extremes they did. The timing of the convention itself was another major sore point. Martin supporters and the Liberal executive tried to give Martin extra time to win support. So they arranged for a June convention. Unfortunately for the party, it coincided with the deadline for Meech, something Chrétien thought was politically stupid. Chrétien was a sure winner, and everyone knew it. But Martin fought tooth and nail to the end, and the Chrétien people always thought Martin was guilty of a bad case of overkill. And so Chrétien took the leadership within hours of the Michelet constitutional deal going down in flames. Martin supporters wore black armbands. Two Liberal MPs supporting Martin announced on the convention floor they could not stay in the same party as Jean Chrétien. Before leaving Calgary, Martin took yet another full swing at his new leader, where it hurt the most. I don't think that Jean understands modern Quebec. I think that he doesn't understand that modern Quebec will not be pushed around. Jean Chrétien won, but it was ugly, it was nasty, and when it came to Paul Martin, it was very personal. Despite the rivalry, Chrétien appointed Martin as the man in charge of co-authoring the party's 1993 election platform called the Red Book. This would help bring the Liberals to power with a majority government in the election, and Martin was rewarded with the Minister of Finance portfolio. For the next nine years, Martin served in that role, presenting budgets that would slowly bring Canada from deep in the red with deficits to having surpluses, but that came with great criticism as well, due to the cutbacks in Canada with the recession in the mid-1990s. It's no accident he came here to this Montreal business school for his first speech as finance minister. Paul Martin and his staff wanted an audience of young people because they know young people have to live longest with the consequences of high deficits. The fiscal realities bequeathed to our new government are sobering indeed. In fact, Martin confirmed what had already been reported, that this year's deficit will be between 44 and $46 billion. That is the reality with which we, as a new government, must now deal. And we shall. Here's how the same finance department that predicted seven months ago the deficit would be $32.6 billion now says it will be closer to $46 billion. It's added $1.8 billion mostly as the cost of increasing grants to most provinces. It's added $3.3 billion mostly because taxes collected for 1992 were lower. Another $1.7 billion because tax refunds were higher. And then the big one, between $4.6 and $6.6 billion in lost tax revenues of all kinds, either because of the weak economy or because people avoid taxes in the underground economy. Add all that up and you get between $11.4 billion and $13.4 billion missing from the federal till. And that, tacked on to the deficit the Tories predicted, totals between $44 and $46 billion. The difference between the two deficit projections is so great, Martin says it's time finance department forecasters had someone looking over their shoulders. For this reason, the Department of Finance will be asking a team of outside specialists to review its methods of forecasting and performance. And there's been no padding, says Martin. Nothing added to the deficit just to make the Tories look bad. 
I don't think it's possible to make my predecessors look worse. The, um... Martin says despite the record-setting deficit, all Liberal campaign promises are still on. But he's not yet ready to talk about what his plan for cutting the deficit is, what changes to social programs he'd consider. When Martin came in as finance minister, Canada's standard and poor rating had been downgraded from AAA to AA+, due to the public debt. In his first budget, Martin made massive budget cuts that scaled the government down to pre-1951 levels, which decreased economic growth by 3.5 percentage points, which almost eliminated the savings made by the cuts. The Bank of Canada would then lower interest rates to avoid causing a growing recession, which then caused a huge spurt in economic growth and a subsequent increase in government revenue. In 1995, Martin would introduce a landmark Canadian budget that reduced government spending by $25 billion over three years and cut 45,000 public service jobs. It also cut federal transfer payments to provinces for health and education by $7 billion. In 1998, Martin introduced a balanced budget, something that had only happened twice before since 1960. That year, Martin would help create the National Child Benefit which lifted 22,900 families out of the poverty line within only two years. Ken Battle, president of the Caledon Institute of Social Policy, would say, quote, I talked a lot with Martin about it. He's a tough guy. We debated it, but he was supportive of the basic idea, and without him, there would be no national child benefit. This is the most important social policy change in a generation. End quote. In the 1980s, Martin would say in an interview, quote, We talk about the need for skilled labor when 52% of the population is women. If we don't provide adequate childcare centers, we are not going to get the full potential out of a skilled female labor force and will impose on the next generation children who have been brought up in a hop, skip, and jump fashion. End quote. Through his budgets, Martin was able to erase $42 billion in deficit and he gained the reputation as being a deficit cutter. In 2002, Standard & Poor restored Canada's debt rating to AAA. And as a finance minister, Martin was able to lower the debt-to-GDP ratio from 70% to 50%. The ability of Chrétien to win several majority elections actually comes down hugely on the shoulders of Martin, who was able to move Canada from those deficits to the surpluses. As a result of this success as a finance minister, in 2001, Martin was named to the World Economic Forum's Dream Cabinet, and he was listed along with Colin Powell and UN Secretary General Kofi Annan as top world leaders. Lost among the talk of bringing Canada into the balanced budget is the fact that Martin also avoided Canada having a pension crisis. In 1996, he oversaw the creation of a general public consultation process that led to major reforms of the Canada Pension Plan. The results of this consultation were collected by the Finance Ministry, and that was turned into a proposal to overhaul the CPP, and prevented the pension crisis. Of course, achieving those balanced budgets came at great costs elsewhere. The cuts to health care resulted in significant cuts to service delivery across Canada, as well as with employment insurance. Throughout his time as Minister of Finance, Martin had a strained relationship with Chrétien, but the two would still work closely together and rarely let the tension between them be seen in public. It was reported that Chrétien would condemn Martin privately and still held anger towards him for running against him in 1990. 
By the time 1997 rolled around, there was speculation that Martin was working towards Kretchen's job and wanted him to retire. Martin began to slowly gain support from those who disagreed with Kretchen, but Kretchen would stay on as leader for several more years. And by the time 2000 rolled around, Martin was controlling a lot of the party machinery. In 2002, Martin believed that Kretchen was finally moving towards retirement and he began to campaign for the leadership of the party. At the same time, there were accusations from the media of incompetence and corruption in the party and the misuse of funds for sponsorships, which became known as the sponsorship scandal. Kretchen believed that the leaks related to these scandals was coming from the party and he ordered all leadership campaigning to stop. In May of 2002, Liberal Party controversies were beginning to take hold in the media and Martin was about to resign as Minister of Finance. Before he could, on June 2nd, 2002, he was fired from his post by Kretchen. Martin then said that he would continue to sit as a regular MP in the House of Commons. And good evening, I'm Peter Mansbridge. What a day this has been in national politics. Reporting for us tonight from the nation's capital is the CBC's Paul Hunter. Paul. Peter, what a week it's been. A political drama that's been brewing for years has exploded. The bottom line, Finance Minister Paul Martin is Finance Minister no more. The first clue, something was up, came at the Prime Minister's residence. Just minutes after stepping inside, looking low-key, out came the Prime Minister with, it appeared, business to finish. What came next was remarkable. High-level meetings inside his Ottawa offices to emerge, this time, with Deputy Prime Minister John Manley, heading off together for a dramatic ceremony that would cap a disastrous few days for the Liberals, the second cabinet shuffle in a week. I, John Manley, do solemnly and sincerely promise... Manley was sworn in as the new finance minister, perhaps the most important job in cabinet after the prime minister, replacing Kretchen's longtime rival, Paul Martin. A letter handed out by the Prime Minister's office during the ceremony put it simply. Dear Paul, wrote the Prime Minister, it is with sadness that I confirm that you are leaving the cabinet. It went on to praise Martin, but the message was clear. Martin is gone. Not fired him. Kretchen's version of exactly what happened between them was vague. There were some things outside government, he says, that got in the way. We uh, discussed the situation. This has nothing to do with the situation... Uh, in the Department of Finance and the economic policies of the government, there were other problems that existed that was making it difficult for him and difficult for me. And we mutually agreed that uh, he was uh, uh, to leave. And there's some speculation that Martin did resign. But either way, leaving his post meant Martin no longer had to disclose his donors. Soon after leaving his cabinet post, Martin declared his intention to run for leadership and he would travel through the summer of 2002 across the country on a campaign to succeed Kretchen among liberal organizers. In March of 2003, a leadership review was set as it followed the general election, and Kretchen stated that he would resign from office. In November of that year, a leadership vote was held, and Martin easily won, succeeding as the leader of the Liberal Party something that his father had always strived for but was never able to achieve over the course of four decades. In that vote, Martin easily captured the leadership of the party with 93.8% of the votes, which is the second most in history, far ahead of his rival Sheila Copps. 
It was one giant Paul Martin party. When he merely showed up at Toronto's Air Canada Centre, the place, a sea of Martin signs, went nuts. It was, for all intents and purposes, already game over. Still, the business at hand. Of the 3,455 possible votes... The new leader of the Liberal Party of Canada... Le nouveau chef du Parti libéral. With 3,242 votes, Paul Martin! Paul Martin, 13 years after losing the previous Liberal leadership race to arch-rival Jean Chrétien, now replaces him. A job Martin's own father tried but failed to win himself three times half a century ago. Now, victory at last for his son. So I know that as he is looking down upon us tonight, he's saying, Paul, this is a big day, but it's not the day. That will come many years hence, when we can say that, yes, the country did aspire to great things, and then we got them done, that the country had a sense of purpose, and that... Technically, it was a contest. Heritage Minister Sheila Cox stayed a candidate to the end, despite overwhelming support for Martin. Still, this morning, an overflow crowd heard one final speech from cops pushing liberal social values. We need to give everyone a seat at the table. But then, even she acknowledged the inevitable. I know that the soon-to-be Right Honourable Paul Martin will be a great Liberal Prime Minister. This huge victory came about because Martin controlled the party machinery, had been campaigning for years, and Kretchen's supporters did not rally around cops. In his acceptance speech, Martin would say, quote, We stand together on the edge of a historic possibility, at a time that comes rarely in the life of a country. It is a time when destiny is ours to hold. End quote. On December 12, 2003, Martin became the 21st Prime Minister of Canada, and he soon removed the Chrétien loyalists from their posts and installed his own key supporters. As he walked in to be sworn in as Prime Minister, he carried the flag that flew over Parliament Hill on the day that his father died in 1992. On a day steeped in history and tradition, Paul Martin brought some of his own. Neatly folded in his hands, the bright red Canadian flag to be with Martin as he fulfilled a lifelong dream, to be sworn in as Canada's Prime Minister, the country's 21st national leader. I, Paul Martin, do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear that I will truly and faithfully, and to the best of my skill and knowledge, execute the powers and trust reposed in me as Prime Minister. So help me God. And with that, his long wait was over. In the crowd, the rest of the new Martin government to be revealed one by one in a massive overhaul of Jean Chrétien's previous cabinet. At first, Martin enjoyed immense popularity and an approval rating of 64%. But even though he had a high-profile cabinet post for almost a decade, many in the country still did not know much about him. Upon being sworn in, Martin chose to only retain half the ministers from the previous government, which was a break in tradition from previous instances when a Prime Minister retired. Another break in tradition was that Martin and his supporters controlled the writing nomination process, 
which broke with the precedence of automatically signing the nomination papers of backbenchers and former ministers who wanted to run again. At the same time, while Martin was enjoying a great deal of popularity, there was open party infighting. Many in Parliament were critical of his management style, which was described as Byzantine, with meeting endlessly and whose decisions seemed to cancel each other out. One example given by some in Parliament was when there were three meetings from 2003 to 2004 that involved the entire staff of the Department of Foreign Affairs, who were required to meet for transition meetings during which, quote, confused bureaucrats crowd into an auditorium and talk through their frustration and confusion, end quote. Martin would speak about a style in a speech, contradicting what others said, on March 26, 2004, saying, quote, Some people have said that in their desire to transform the way Ottawa works, we're moving too fast. I don't agree. I believe there are times when the only way to achieve genuine change is to shock the system. In any large institution, there is simply too much inertia supporting the status quo. End quote. As Prime Minister, Martin set several priorities including creating improved ties with the United States, improving the skilled workforce, and developing a stronger military. He also pledged to reduce healthcare wait lists and poverty among the indigenous. As part of developing a stronger military, Martin had the Canadian Armed Forces assume a stronger role in Afghanistan with a 3D role of defense, diplomacy, and development. Martin would welcome President George W. Bush to Ottawa in the autumn of 2004, and the relationship appeared to be an improvement over the relationship between Chrétien and Bush. The relationship did not seem to be hurt by the fact that Martin stated Canada would not participate in the United Nations ballistic missile defense proposal. Unfortunately for Martin, he inherited a party that was beset with scandals, the biggest of which was the sponsorship scandal and the report that stated $100 million was misspent in federal funds, most of which went to Liberal supporters in Quebec. This caused the Liberals to sink heavily in the polls, and Martin denied any knowledge and stated that he would resign if he was proven to be untruthful. He then appointed the Commission of Inquiry into the Sponsorship Program and Advertising Activities, and he attempted to ally himself with the Canadian public, often going on talk shows and saying that he would punish all responsible. The scandal would severely impact Martin's popularity in Quebec, and Gilles Duceppe, the leader of the Bloc Québécois, even suggested that Martin wanted to widen the St. Lawrence Seaway to benefit Canada's steamship lines. As well, going back to Martin's choice to only use half of the ministers from Chrétien's cabinet, this was seen as the Prime Minister ridding the government of Chrétien's supporters to distance the Liberals from the sponsorship scandal. In February of 2004, he fired Ambassador Alfonso Galgiano, who was implicated in a public work scandal, and then suspended the presidents of Canada Post, Via Rail, and the Business Development Bank. He then promised that all future senior appointments to Crown Corporations would be vetted by Parliament. Despite his efforts, the sponsorship scandal greatly reduced his popularity across Canada. Martin then asked Governor-General Adrian Clarkson to dissolve the government. During the election campaign, the Liberals were unable to raise enough money for the campaign as Chrétien had passed a bill in 2003 that banned corporate donations. In Ontario, Dalton McGuinty, the Liberal Premier, broke his promise not to raise taxes, which hurt the federal Liberals in that province. 
Martin also did poorly in the leaders' debate, and the Conservatives took the lead in the polls. But before the election date hit, the Liberals were able to regain momentum. On June 28, 2004, the Liberals were reduced to a minority government for the first time since 1972, winning only 135 seats out of 308. This would be the first minority government since Joe Clark came to power in 1979. The Liberals have a minority government. Despite the victory, voters took them down several notches and now they have to adjust to the new reality. Here's the CBC's Paul Hunter. By the looks of it, you might think he'd just won a huge majority. But as freshly elected Prime Minister Paul Martin returned to Ottawa today, the cheers from Liberals who met him at the airport may have signaled relief. Last night, with voters taking more than 30 seats away from Liberals, but having faced down predictions he'd lose way more than that, if not the whole election, Martin celebrated minority. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good. Promising Canadians, he hears them. We take two things with us to government. The message that Canadians have sent to us tonight, a message that we must do better, And the second message that I take with us to Parliament is the positive vision that we have set out before Canadians. And that also is the vision that we take with us to government. A number of big-name Liberals were defeated, among them Agriculture Minister Bob Speller, Heritage Minister Hélène Scherer, a potential minister, former Winnipeg Mayor Glenn Murray, and Defence Minister David Pratt, here congratulating the 25-year-old Conservative who beat him. I know that you're going to find it interesting and tremendously stimulating, so uh, wish you well. Among notable Liberal winners, Conservative-turned-Liberal Scott Bryson, Liberal-turned-Bloc Québécois-turned-Liberal Jean Lapierre, former hockey star-turned-Liberal Ken Dryden, and former British Columbia New Democratic Premier-turned-Liberal Ujjal Dussange. I am absolutely humbled. And though there are recounts to come, the overall picture shows Martin's Liberals with gains in the East, but falling significantly in Quebec and Ontario, slightly in the prairies, though picking up a bit in B.C. The result? I think that what we have got is a stable minority government. The question now, how to govern? Martin says he's not planning any kind of coalition, but will at times need the support of other parties. He's already spoken with the other party leaders, including the NDP's Jack Layton. I congratulate him on his campaign, um, and he did the same, um, and that uh, we agreed that it was going to be very important that all of us uh, work hard uh, to make, uh, to make the, the new parliament work. With a minority government, the Conservatives began to push to bring down the government, including announcing plans to move an amendment to the speech from the throne on October 5, 2004. The government did not fall due to an agreement on a watered-down version of the amendment. Prior to the throne speech, Martin would hold a first minister's meeting to reach an agreement on increased funding for health care, and a deal was reached that would lower the anger between the provinces and federal government, which had been impacted during the years of Chrétien. On February 23, 2005, the federal budget was presented to the House of Commons, with spending focused on the armed forces, the national child care program, and the environment. The Conservatives would then use Opposition Day, when the Opposition was given the opportunity to set the parliamentary agenda, to force a vote of no confidence. To avoid this, Martin removed all Opposition Days from the schedule. Jack Layton and the NDP then offered support to Martin if they cancelled proposed corporate tax cuts in the budget, which the Liberals agreed to. 
On May 17, 2005, Belinda Stronach, a Conservative Party MP, then crossed the floor to join the Liberals. This event would give the Liberals the balance of power in the House of Commons. On May 19, 2005, Chuck Cadman flew to Ottawa after going through chemotherapy to vote with the Liberals as an independent on the 2005 budget, which created a tie in the House of Commons. Following Cadman's death, allegations came forward that two Conservative Party officials offered him a million-dollar life insurance policy in exchange for his vote against the Liberals. Cadman's daughter would say later that her father was disturbed by the offer. Peter Milliken, the Speaker of the House, then cast the deciding vote, following a tradition that the Speaker continues debate, allowing the budget to pass on May 19, 2005. A defining aspect of Martin's time as Prime Minister would be the legalization of same-sex marriage across Canada. In 1999, Martin had actually opposed same-sex marriage in a vote on the issue, along with most members of Parliament. In 2004, he had changed his view, stating court rulings and his personal belief that same-sex marriage was a human rights issue. In 2004, seven provinces had already legalized same-sex marriage, and in June of 2005, the House of Commons would pass the Civil Marriage Act, which came after a long, late-night vote that came down to the wire before Parliament closed down. In July 2005, it passed the Senate and received royal assent on July 20, 2005, making Canada the fourth country in the world to legalize same-sex marriages. Also in 2005, Martin appeared as himself in an episode of Corner Gas, becoming the first of three Prime Ministers to appear on the show. On the foreign affairs side of things, Martin would promote the expansion of the G8 and the G20 during his time as Finance Minister, and he served as the first chair of the organization from 1999 to 2001. He would also forge stronger ties with the People's Republic of China by announcing a strategic partnership. On August 4, 2005, Martin advised Queen Elizabeth II to appoint Michel Jean as Governor General. The reception was mixed by some due to accusations that she and her husband had dined with former members of the FLQ and supported Quebec separatism, at least for a time. On November 1, 2005, the commission that was looking at the sponsorship scandal exonerated Martin, but by this point it did not matter. His government reputation was damaged by the report. The NDP then notified Martin that they had conditions for their continued support, but the two parties were unable to come to an agreement. Now, with the support of the NDP and the Bloc Québécois, the Conservatives introduced a motion of no confidence against the Liberals, and this passed on November 28th by a count of 171 to 133, defeating the government. Lots going on, so let's get to it. The CBC's Paul Hunter starts our coverage tonight. Paul. Peter, it's been building for weeks. It seemed the colder the weather, the hotter the pre-campaign bluster. Well, rhetoric in theory, no more. This winter campaign is about to begin. It was, of course, on the slipperiest, slushiest, iciest day of the season in Ottawa that a winter election suddenly became a reality. Inside the House of Commons, history was being made. Just 17 months into Paul Martin's first elected government, and it was set to become Canada's first ever federal government to fall on a simple vote of no confidence from the opposition. The end came quickly. That this House has lost confidence in the government. 
Martin, of course, voted against the motion. But in the end, it wasn't even close. Martin's minority liberals had lost. Yes, pour 171, 171, nays contre 133, The voting date will be announced tomorrow, but it's expected to be January 23rd, allowing candidates to break for the holidays. It's been 25 years since Canada had a winter election. Recall Trudeau beating Clark in 1980. But does this one come as a surprise? Not really. All four major parties have been building to it for weeks. Earlier today, they underlined what they'll want voters to think about in what's expected to be a bitter, nasty, eight-week campaign. In the election, Martin and the Liberals campaigned on the issues of health care, daycare, tax cutting, and national autonomy. At the time the writ was dropped, Liberals were actually ahead of the Conservatives by as much as 10%, but this lead began to slip. The Liberals did not campaign much in December, which allowed the Conservatives to take the initiative. And by the end of December, an RCMP investigation leaked regarding a federal tax change for income taxes, which brought the sponsorship scandal back into the public attention. By early January, Liberal support was down to 26%. And in the leaders' debates, Martin had an unbalanced performance, even making a surprise pledge to eliminate the notwithstanding clause, to which the Conservatives pointed out that it was not a Liberal campaign promise. On January 23, 2006, the Liberals won 103 seats, while the Conservatives under Stephen Harper took 124 to gain a minority government. The night of the election loss, Martin stated that he would resign as leader of the party, and he would not take office as the leader of the opposition, the first defeated Prime Minister who retained his seat not to do so. For the next nine years, there would be disorder in the Liberal Party. From 1919 to 2015, there were 11 leadership conventions for the Liberal Party, three of which came from 2003 to 2015, when the Liberals went through three leaders, two of which never served as Prime Minister, the only time that has ever happened for the Liberals from 1919 to today. While much of his time as Prime Minister was focused on the sponsorship scandal, Martin did accomplish many things. Along with legalizing same-sex marriage, his government created a national child care program, negotiated a $41 billion health accord with the provinces, and forged the Kelowna Accord, which had the goal of improving the quality of life for the Indigenous people across Canada. In 2008, Martin left politics for good, having sat as a regular MP since 2006. In 2008, he released his memoirs, Hell or High Water, My Life in and Out of Politics. He'd also co-chair the Congo Basin Forest Fund, and he would serve as an advisor for the International Monetary Fund and the Coalition Dialogue on Africa. In 2011, he was awarded the Order of Canada. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Paul Martin. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, 
Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke Guess, JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Canadian History X. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from Canadian Encyclopedia, the Canada Guide, Library and Archives Canada, Wikipedia, and Maclean's Magazine.